Hello, and welcome to A Stillness. I am so fired up about this topic that it's taken me several recordings and tries and different scripts to attempt to synthesize all the information that I am dying to share. But know this, it is primarily coming from my education. I'm currently in the process of getting a bachelor's in sustainability and business. And I know that I'm not the only person who so deeply wants to do their part on a planet that is dying in systems that are unjust and inequitable, and yet is also constantly overwhelmed by new information and tools. And here, here is what I hope you take away from this episode, if nothing else. Eco is not an aesthetic. And we're going to break that down. So I am currently in the process of getting my bachelor's degree in business and sustainability from Arizona State University, and it's been a long time coming. I didn't decide to pursue a bachelor's degree till I was almost 25. Um, I will be turning 30 this winter, and I will graduate next spring, so I will be 30 by the time I'm graduating with any kind of college degree. And it has taken me six years, in case you were doing the math in between those numbers. So just know that this passion of mine that I have for our planet and for other humans is really, really big. And it has taken me, in some ways, a long time to get this degree because I care so much, um, because there are so many different facets to sustainability that I'm passionate about. I am going to take a moment here to explain sustainability as though you've never heard this term outside of marketing. Because let's be real, if you're the average U.S. or potentially even European consumer, you probably haven't heard the term sustainability unless it's being marketed to you, unless it's being attached to a project or product, and you are essentially the ad recipient for something supposedly sustainable. Sustainability is actually considered a science. So my degree in business is a bachelor's in arts, but the sustainability side of it is kind of like a bachelor's in science. And believe me, it sometimes feels like I'm getting two bachelor's degrees (laughs) with the amount of schoolwork that's required and also just the wide diversity of topics that are covered inside of that degree. Sustainability is a science, and it is the study of the intersection between um, people, which is like the social sciences. So a lot of people don't realize this. When I tell them I've studied sustainability, they ask, oh, have you taken environmental classes? And I have. Um, For this degree, I do need to understand really, really basic functions of the environment, ecosystem services, the carbon cycle, the nitrogen cycle, the phosphorus cycle, the water cycle. Like we all know these things. We all know the water cycle. At least I'm going to assume that most of us know the water cycle. Like we learned at a very young age that water evaporates and it forms the clouds. And when the clouds get too heavy, they rain. Like that is the basic um, water cycle that then repeats. 
in a sustainability degree, we learn about that and how then we get things like acid rain or the acidification of the water that evaporates and that kind of thing. So I do have to know some basic environmental cycles and how they impact one another, as well as a general grasp on biodiversity and ecosystem services, basically the things that our planet provides for us. But it's very different studying sustainability than, say, studying environmental science. A lot of my other science classes revolve around the social sciences. So I've had to take um, social science classes about changing people's mind, changing systems, how human systems have developed, right? Because so many of the human systems that we have today are those that are threatening the sustainability of our species and our planet. So my social science classes have revolved around things like equity and justice. Then there's also an element of economics, A lot of people also don't realize this, but sustainability is the scientific study of the planet and of people. And often the third P that's sometimes given is profits. But really, it's like a combination of environmental sciences, social sciences, and economic science. So I've also taken a myriad of different economic classes, looking at different thoughts around economics and how economics as a system impacts all of these other structures, as in how economics impacts the planet, as well as how economics impacts people and how people in the planet also impact economics, if that makes sense. So sustainability is not only environmentalism. And I really want to emphasize that here because when we talk about sustainability or when we're talking about sustainable products or we're talking about eco not being an aesthetic, um, which is my current like soapbox of choice, we need to understand that Part of that is because we are talking about people. We're talking about the slave labor involved in our textiles and clothing. We're talking about the child labor involved in some of our foods and in a lot of our mining. Mining and how we do agriculture are also bad for the planet, but they are exceptionally bad for many, many people around the world. So deep breath. If any of those statements, thoughts, or concepts overwhelmed you, it can be a lot. Sustainability ultimately is the study of whether or not the human species will survive our planet resetting. Because the planet probably will survive regardless of whether or not the human species is alive. And there are a lot of arguments that the planet survived way better before there were so many humans making so much impact on our environmental systems. Sustainability is essentially a study of resilience. Can we adapt? And what does that adaptation look like? So that is what sustainability is. And I also want to extend a really compassionate moment to all of us who maybe didn't recognize all of those layers to sustainability and who maybe have only ever heard the terms or concepts of sustainability tied to a marketing campaign. Because we know we, as in the average citizen on this planet, knows 
that sustainability is an issue, right? That there are environmental and equity issues that we need to be addressing both individually and collectively. Sustainability has become kind of this hot topic and it's selling things. People are often willing to pay more for something, upwards of 20 to 25% more for an item if they know that it was created sustainably. I'm actually going to amend that statement slightly if they think it was created sustainably. Oftentimes, it's not well known if something actually is truly sustainable. Take, for instance, one of my previous favorite shampoos that I will not name the brand. I'm not here to like shame anybody who uses um, this brand or even shame the brand itself. But there was a shampoo that I used for years that I loved because I thought it was a sustainable company. Um, They advertise as using all plant-derived materials in their shampoos and body washes and things. And as someone with sensitive skin, I was kind of already leaning that way like before that became in some ways the norm in a lot of shampoo or lotion aisles of Blockbuster. Is that what it's called? Um, You know, big box. That's where I was looking for, big box stores. And I really loved their stuff until I discovered that saying that something is plant-derived or plant-based is not necessarily sustainable. Like, there is the chance that that means that there's less of a chemical toxin footprint in their production process, but it by no means means that they're not testing on animals or that this company is paying all of its employees fairly or that the packaging that it comes in is plant-based or that the packaging is recyclable. This is a really hard thing that often happens in sustainability. If a company or a product is getting one thing right, for example, making something that maybe historically had a big chemical footprint have less of one because now they're using um, bio material, like plant-based material, that is right a good thing. <laughs> But it's not a great thing if in the process they're not creating a safe work environment for their employees and or the packaging that this product comes in is not recyclable or is not biodegradable or compostable. There's all these words that we could use there, but my point is that it's not, uh, it's not sustainable. This happens for so many things. Like, so many things. Some of my favorite local produce that I can afford to buy is not organic. It's local, which is a good, often sustainable choice, but it was not made using strict organic farming processes. So, you know, is it actually good? These become the questions and the intersections because sustainability is such a layered topic. So again, I just want to take a moment to extend any and all compassion that you may be needing as a consumer. I also want to point out that there's a lot of decision fatigue around this. Even if we all had all of the information about not just the environmental impacts, but the social or equity impacts, as well as the economic impacts of the things that we were purchasing, 
Like that would still just require so much brain power to make even the simplest of decisions, <laughs> purchasing decisions or non-purchasing decisions. Like the mental fatigue that comes from being sustainability aware is so, so real. So in this episode, I'm going to lay out three tools or three ways that I personally practice sustainability in my life. One of the main ways is to watch my energy use. So if possible, can I turn my lights off in my house if it's a nice sunny day? Can I use a ceiling fan in the room that I'm going to be sitting in as opposed to turning on the air conditioning, which then uses energy to cool the entire house. Essentially, the ceiling fan uses less energy and just cools part of the house. But if it's the part of the house I'm using, that's a more sustainable option. It's a little option. It's a small choice. It's the kind of choice that does not give me mental fatigue to make. And so it's one I make a lot. You can unplug things when they're not in use, but honestly, just getting into the habit of turning things off when they're not in use has huge, like huge ripple effects in the world of sustainability. One of the main issues around energy use and sustainability is that most of us in wealthier nations like the US or like much of Western Europe um, is that we simply don't make those choices. Because the lights can be on, they should be on. Because I can take a long hot shower, I should take a long hot shower. If you have the capacity to get in the habit of turning off lights, to get in the habit of washing your laundry on a cold water cycle instead of a warm or hot water cycle, as much as possible, those are actually monumental ways that the average consumer, the average household can significantly decrease their energy use. Also, if you're decreasing your energy use, that hypothetically means that you're saving money on your energy bill. So a bonus for you. Consider that a little reward for your efforts if those are efforts you're not currently putting in. I also want to emphasize that this doesn't mean making yourself horribly uncomfortable, especially when it comes to things like air conditioning and cooling your house. More people die due to heat-related illnesses than any other kind of natural phenomenon, including natural disasters. So please, please, please turn on your AC <laughs> When needed, if you feel like you're overheating or you feel like your beloved pets are overheating, please turn on your AC. This is not to shame anyone who makes this decision, but it's just to let you know that it's not the only decision. If it's not excruciatingly hot and you feel that you could um, change from pants into shorts and turn on a ceiling fan, that is a better use of your effort from a sustainability standpoint than cranking up your AC. Same thing for your cars. So if you're a person who drives a car, which again, if you live in the US, you probably statistically are, instead of running your car's AC, you could roll your windows down. 
Now, there are some days where rolling the windows down actually just feels like you're driving through Dante's Inferno instead of actually getting cooler. Sure, run your AC on those days. Again, there's no shame for keeping yourself comfortable. And I, I again, want to emphasize that heat-related deaths and illnesses are the top, top killer when it comes to natural disasters or natural phenomenon. So please take it seriously if you feel like you're overheating. And in the meantime, turn off your lights. Maybe wear cooler clothes inside of your house. Another thing that you can do is to close your curtains, especially curtains that face to the south if you're in the northern hemisphere. As the the south side of our homes are what gets the most amount of sun throughout the day. So if you could keep curtains closed on the south side, especially during, you know, peak sunlight hours, like from 11-ish in the morning till 3-ish in the afternoon, that can also help block a lot of heat. And you can still get brightness from the sun even through curtains. So, wow. Okay, this is just kind of getting rambly. But my point is we are probably the average one of us using more energy than we realize we're using. And with a small couple habitual changes there can actually be huge monumental impacts from using less energy so that's a great place to start and it's also a really again I think compassionate place to start if you you know like me get mentally fatigued get overwhelmed by all the options or feel like you have to research every single purchase like sometimes the most empowering thing you can do is just go turn the lights off in your house that can be great. (laughs) Way to go. You're already doing so much. Okay. A second thing that you can do that I find is not like complete mental collapse to begin to integrate is to love your local. Fill in the blank. Love your local yoga studio. Love your local community garden. Love your local farmer's market. Love your local house sitter. Love your local economy, if you will. Anything local that supports your well-being is worth investing in. Hard stop. Anything local that helps support your well-being is worth investing in every single time. Not just from that economic equity standpoint, but also as far as building resilience, One of the most interesting things about social resilience when it comes to the human race or the human species is that we require community 10 out of 10 times. So if there are ways that you can invest in your local community, if there are ways that you can build local support for you, whatever your needs may be. Like I listed off a lot of my needs. I'm a person who needs to go take yoga. I'm a person with pets. I need a house sitter whenever I want to travel. Um, I love local produce. I live in a part of the country. I live in the Midwest. So I live in a part of the country where like every town around me and my own town has their own like farmer's market. Those are things worth investing in. That is building up resilience, not just for you, because then you have a local support system, but also just generally, again, investing in that builds resilience in your own communities. I feel really great about the fact that I live, again, in the part of, a con- in the part of our country that has a lot of small local farms. 
and that I am on, you know, like first name terms, first name basis with a handful of local farmers and gardeners. That's a really great support system. Um, but find out what that is for you. It may not look that way, depending on where you live. If you live in more of a concrete jungle, it might, you know, show up a little differently, but love your local, whatever that means for you and support in support your local community and ask your local community to support you. So if there's something you need, like if you need resources, if you need food, See what your local community can do. See if there's a a mutual aid program. Find out about local food pantries. Again, there's no shame, absolutely no shame in adapting for survival. That is the basis of sustainability. So if that means that you need to use a food pantry some months because things are tight, please use it. Like you are literally doing the most sustainable thing by using the resources locally available to you. And a lot of people, especially people that tend to be more um, politically conservative, may not realize this to the same extent, but like mutual aid programs, local food pantries, um, those kinds of services, they reduce the overall like government or tax burden in an area by so much. Like they are so worth investing in, no matter what side of any political aisle you might be leaning. And, and again, that also means that they're there for you. I think a lot of people don't think about that if they are financially secure for a season of life. But by investing in them, you're kind of also, if you will, paying it forward, recognizing that there may be a point in time where you also will require those kinds of resources. So please, please use them. Let go of any embarrassment that might be holding you back. It is literally one of the most sustainable things a person can do, both to invest in them and to use them when needed. Okay, the third thing, and this is my personal favorite and has been personally the most life-changing for me, is to do the first R. So I don't know how many of us learned about the R's in grade school, like reduce, reuse, recycle. The reduce one is the most powerful and in many, many ways is the crux of sustainability in developed and wealthier nations. What if you just stopped buying things. And I know this sounds a little crazy and it's always really interesting to me whenever I bring up to people that I've done no by years or I've done no by months and how like life-changing they are for me every time and how I wish it was a more normalized practice. Like people do social media detoxes. I think we should do like just all consumption detoxes. And there's always that one person or two people that are like, well, what? I'm just supposed to like not buy like groceries or not pay my bills? Like, no, obviously that's not what I'm suggesting. I'm suggesting what if you only paid for your groceries and paid your bills? I'm suggesting 
Not that we get rid of basic needs, which is where often people's minds go when I say a no-buy practice. I'm not saying don't buy the things that you literally require, again, as like a human species to survive. Like, please have fresh water and good food and good shelter and adequate clothing. But then what if you didn't buy anything else? It's all the other things that are not essential that we can let go of. And And it's hard because we are a consumeristic society. We are marketed to intensely. If you want to read about the history of this, the BBC actually has a really incredible article from 2021 by Karen Higgs. And the article is titled, where is it? Here we go. (laughs) It's in their history section and it's titled How the World Embraced Consumerism. But it's like this really awesome kind of nerdy deep dive researched article about how consumerism was very much chosen. One retail analyst who was particularly prominent in the 1950s of Victor Lebeau, or Lebeau, I'm actually not entirely sure how that's pronounced, Uh, is famously quoted to have said, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption a way of life, that we convert the buying and the use of goods into rituals, that which we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced and discarded at an ever accelerating rate. He's sometimes attributed to as one of the fathers of capitalism, as we know it today. It was well understood that we can keep a people occupied and busy and just rich enough, but also just poor enough if they're constantly consuming. And that in having that kind of population, we, those in charge, or arguably collectively, we can be some economic powerhouse. But reducing consumption is completely free. Arguably, it saves you money. And it is, by and large, the most sustainable thing any one individual can do. And this is what I mean by eco is not an aesthetic. Because sustainability is so hot and on trend right now, which, I mean, as it should be in some regard, it also means that we're constantly being sold this aesthetic. I will have you know right now that my bulk pantry does not look like a bunch of different beautiful colored beans and absolutely beautiful glass jars, all cutely labeled, lined up in a row. My bulk pantry looks like bags and bags of different kinds of rice and beans that I bought as cheaply as possible, just stacked and piled on one another. The aesthetic of sustainability often looks minimal, it often looks simple, very non-opulent, and it can be that way. If that's your style, that's great. It's not my style. 
everything in my home, with a couple exceptions like our new mattress, have been bought secondhand. And let me tell you right now, my aesthetic is not simple lines and all white. I have gorgeous antiques. I have antiques that are a little less gorgeous and falling apart. I have opulent Persian wool rugs. But all of these things have been sourced secondhand from estate sales, from local thrift stores. And then they've been repaired and maintained by me. Part of investing in a secondhand market looks like taking things that are maybe less than desirable at first glance and polishing them up, putting on a fresh coat of paint, restaining them. Now, I know I just gave that example while talking about no buy, and my argument is still that if you don't need it, you don't need it. But if there's something you do need within your no buy practice, for example, that isn't food or paying your cell phone bill. Another great and beautiful option is to buy secondhand. And while buying secondhand, to buy it to last. The amount of headspace that I reclaimed once I was no longer buying things regularly was a little astronomical, to tell you the truth. It's humbling and it is terrifying when you step out of the habit or the cycle or the cog and machine that is constant consumption. When you are no longer practicing that or living that way, I had so much free time. I had time to use all of the stuff I had purchased that I just couldn't get around to, all the new art supplies, all the books I wanted to read. Another wonderful thing about a no-buy year is that it, or I I tend to practice it in year-long cycles, but you can practice it for a week. You can practice it for a month. I do highly recommend several months because it often takes more than 30 days to rebuild our habits. It's often closer to 60 so I do recommend more than one month, but that's just my little asterisk on that um, on that statement. Um, but the, one of the beautiful things about a no-buy practice is it tends to overlap with some of these other practices, like loving your local library, loving your local free concerts in the park, loving your local you know, discount yoga classes, whatever it may be. If you're already in a headspace that says, I don't have to buy my way into success or achievement or value, then you tend to have a little bit more space for those local resources, or maybe you just learn to rely on those local resources a little bit more. You might also find that you have a little more space to pick one or two things that you're really intentionally going to do sustainably. This is my last example. I know I said I had three tools, but this fourth one I do think kind of ties into a no-buy practice of some kind. If there's something that you are consuming regularly, for me, it's tea. I drink tea every single morning, and if we're being honest, almost every single afternoon, (laughs) I'm a tea drinker, 
thoroughly. I enjoy it thoroughly. So even though a no-buy practice for some people looks nothing like buying the amount of tea that I buy in a given month, for me, it does. It is a basic core element of how I live. So I decided that that would be my one thing. One of the very first times I did a no-buy year, I decided to really deeply research a bunch of different tea companies. And I researched which ones were sourcing their tea ethically, which ones were paying a living wage, which ones were also invested in other ecosystem restoration. Any form of agriculture tends to destroy a portion of the ecosystem. So a lot of sustainable agriculture companies or agro-based businesses will have some element, some aspect of reinvesting, restoring, doing conservation work in a, a similar or like adjacent ecosystem. So I researched that. I researched which teas were organic, which teas were fresh, which teas came in recyclable or compostable packaging. I did not do this in one sit down. This was like weeks and weeks and weeks of just going through the tea in my cabinet and looking at all the different brands that I had accumulated um, because I do like to have my options, my black teas, my red teas, my green teas, my white teas, my oolongs, etc. So as I'm going through all of these things, I discovered like two to three tea companies that I was going to keep buying from. And I also discovered like three to four tea companies that I was not going to keep buying from. And it doesn't mean I just suddenly tossed out all of my Bigelow tea. It just meant that when it came time to replace one of my favorite Bigelow teas, I looked for an option by a a different company, a, a company like Republic of Tea or Adagio, which are my personal favorites, the ones that I continue to support. This is something else you can do if you decide you do have the headspace, if it feels empowering for you to deep dive into something, deep dive into just one thing that you interact with either daily or weekly. Another great option is research your local gym. Do they pay their instructors fairly? Do they offer subsidized memberships either through local businesses or other organizations? Do they give back to the community in some way? Do they promote uh, recycling or do they offer whatever it may be? Do they offer discounted memberships for people living in shelters. Like there's so many different ways that you can measure this. Measure based on what's important to you. Like whatever gets your heart fired up is probably the thing that you're being called to focus on right now. So again, it doesn't have to be everything, but just find one thing, like one thing that you actually do have a little bit of sway over in your own life and look into it. And I 
find that most people actually do have the time to begin to do the research to determine what is most sustainable for them or for their household once they are drastically cutting back on how much they're consuming in the first place. So to recap, notice your energy use. Can you wash your clothes on a cold cycle? Probably you can more often than you think. (laughs) Can you turn off your lights? Are there times where it makes more sense to use a standing fan or a ceiling fan as opposed to a whole house air conditioning or fan? Are there times where it makes sense to carpool or to take um, a long walk or a bike ride to get to where you're going as opposed to your car? Secondly, love your local. Love your local, whatever that may be. Love your local transit system. Even if you, like me, just feel like you can't. Like, are there times that you can? (laughs) Is there one place you regularly go that has a bus stop right in front of it? Could you maybe take the bus just for that? Or whatever the other case may be. Are there walking paths that you enjoy, but you just don't find that you have the time to use? What would it look like to prioritize use of them? Love your local food systems. Love your local little thrift shops. Love your local resources and please, please use them as much as you need. Love your local library. And lastly, reduce. We could have an entire episode about reduce and an entire episode about reusing and an entire episode about recycling. Let me tell you what. That we could thoroughly have all of those things. But know that eco is not an aesthetic. And it often, often just looks like using what you have and refusing to buy your way into sustainability because that is an impossibility. We have to stop consuming. And we know this. (laughs) Maybe not we as in you and I prior to this conversation, But the idea of consumerism was very, very intentionally placed and marketed into the American psyche and into other developed nations. And it's okay if it takes you a couple tries, a little bit of practice to, you know, step out of that cycle. And it's also okay for you to relish the openness, the freedom, the joy that you may be fined on the other side of constant consumption. And with that, I will end with a poem that I wrote earlier this year, all about this, <laughs> titled Relearning. Shiny, new, on sale now, kitchen gadget of the year, must have, order, reorder, subscribe. No. I reply, softly inside. Good food, eaten slowly. This is all I require. Must have, just as everyone else has. Cloned outfits, trendy, stylish, sexy, soft, now. No, I unsubscribe, clicking the mouse twice. Comfortable beauty, evolving expression. This is all I desire. So sad. Frown lines. How dare your face shown that you've laughed. Erasure. Schedule now. 
No, I say, touching my cheeks. Perfection is mine. This is all I must remember. Have a good time. Sunshine in a bottle. Bubbles in a can. Purchase summer nostalgia here. No, I avert my eyes. Content to simply be. I do not hate any season. I know what they request of me. Buy now. Limited quantity. Limited time. Limited mind. Scarcity abounds. Never enough. No, I argue back to the sign. There is abundance. I am enough. Going fast. Fast lane. Fast track. In and out. Fast food. Before and after. Hurry up. No. I pace my body and my breath. I cannot rush my way into peace. I was not made to arrive. Terrible look. Terrible book. Judgment and cancellation. Not for us. Must always be for us. No. I shake my head slowly. No, I must be for me, I reply. You are not entitled to anything. Scammy, slimy, influencing. Google the feelings. Never trust your gut, your timing, now. No, I patiently step back. I do not have to control. Beautiful things fall into my lap. Blend in, but not like that. You can never win. Stand out. Not that way. Pay us to show you how. Sign up now. Three-part workshop to figure your life out. Carbon copy. Be predictable. Be unpredictable. Be cool. Not too cool. Look like this. Live like this. We have the answers. We're in the know. You couldn't possibly know what's best for you. No, I sigh. Delete. 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 Part 2 and relearn again, alternatively titled, My Spiritual Path Thus Far. My energy, my talents, my woes, and my wonders are not for the exploitation of others. Show up with me or don't, but you do not get to determine where I show up and how. I do my own work. I heal my own wounds. I no longer absorb the work and wounds of others. My flaws, my freckles, my ferocity and fawning are my own growth edges. Grow with me or don't, but you are not entitled to understand my seasons. I trust my process. I move with grace. I no longer over-explain my intentions to others. My red flags, yeses, no thank yous, and not nows reverberate powerfully. Learn with me or don't, but you are not the voice of my intuition. I listen to my gut. I affirm my inner wisdom. I no longer outsource that power to markets, influencers, and trends. My desires, remembrances, perfection, and purpose are not for the exploitation of others. Liberate, generate, learn, and relearn, and relearn again.